welcome to Dig It. This is The Speaker. I'm here with my co-host, The Sharp Edge, and Corey Lynn of Corey's Digs. How are you guys doing? Hey there, doing good. I'm doing great. How about you? Uh, I'm struggling. Struggling? I'm always struggling, because i got sleep apnea, so. Oh boy. Always very tired, but that's okay. We're, we're trying to work it out, get around it. Um, okay, so we've got a few things to go in today. We're going to talk about the update on James Younger, which is a good news story once that we got. Um, we're going to talk about a little bit of the updates on the Vatican. We'll talk about some big news for this week, which was the death of Al-Bahadi. Also, we will talk about the origins of ISIS relating to Obama, Hillary and McCain. We'll talk about the Flynn update and the motion by Sidney Powell about altering the 302s, the Durban uh, inquiry, which is now in criminal investigation. And we'll finish off with Corey's new article, which is called Turn the Page or Lose Your Children to Indoctrination, which I'm very interested in hearing. So let's um, let's start off with some good news with the update on James Younger. Yeah, so the day we recorded our podcast last week, we were covering this story on, um, on the seven-year-old James Younger and his father and mother who is trying to basically convert her son to be transgender, to be a girl that she calls Luna. And uh, the day after that, or wasn't it, I believe it was that night. So there was this huge outcry on social media and everyone was just, just hammering officials. And he, the father was going on several conservative news stations and uh, trying to get this information out and get attention drawn to this case. And so that night, Governor Greg Abbott stated Wednesday night, that the Texas Attorney General and the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services were going to investigate this case and look into this. Then on Thursday, which we record Wednesday and we don't publish our podcast till Friday. So on Thursday, Judge Kim Cooks in the 255th District Family Court in Dallas, Texas, ruled that the parents should have joint custody. The state cannot require Mr. Younger to treat the child as a girl and that the father should have a say in his son's medical treatments. She also, yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It, it's no. a win. It, it's not. It's not entirely a full win. I would have liked to see him have full custody, but right. it's, it's definitely something. Right, right. And it was kind of interesting because she also ordered Mr. Younger to shut down his website, which he then removed on Friday, and forbade both parents from speaking to the news media. And I just realized, I, I, I'm just going with Kim as a she, but it could be a he, huh? I didn't actually look up a photo, so. But if you, if you missed this, I'm sure everyone's already familiar with the story. The mother started dressing the boy at age three as a girl, and basically, according to the father, basically she's you know telling him he's a girl. And he has a twin brother, too which neither are biological and the parents are divorced. So this is, this is his ex-wife that's doing this. And she coincidentally uh, happens to be a pediatrician. And when I looked at her website and her background, she's actually training other pediatricians too, which makes me a little nervous. No um, kidding. And, and so after the dressing him though, she wants to eventually do puberty blocking treatments, which could lead to chemical castration. And, you know, they, they had all of this wanting to say that the father had to call him a girl, refer to him as a girl, couldn't bring him to church. Like there were all these stipulations she was going for and she wanted him to foot the bill for 
any, you know, medical transitions in therapy as it pertained to transgender. And so, yeah, so this was a really big win to um, make sure that, because she was going for full custody. So this, this is, you know, it's, there's some light there and we'll keep our eyes on that case moving forward. He can now block basically any attempt to transition him because both parents have to sign off on any. Yeah. And I wonder how that's going to work. Are they going to have to go to court and battle this out every time she wants to try and do some sort of deranged medical treatment on this poor boy? I guess they're just going to have to wait and see. I'm I'm sure it will will be on and off in the news now now that it's become quite public. Right. 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 But I also just wanted to throw this out there real quick. Real short, Dr. Michael Baden was on Fox News this morning talking about Epstein, the you know alleged suicide. And he is a famous forensic expert and former New York City medical examiner who was hired by Epstein's brother to oversee the medical examination. So I'm sure everyone remembers a few months back when this went down, they said, oh, they're bringing this guy in and he's going to stand over and watch the autopsy. So he came on and he was saying that this is not consistent with suicide, that it is in fact consistent with homicide, and that there were three fractures in his hyoid bone, two fractures on the left and right side of his larynx near the thyroid cartilage or Adam's apple, plus one fracture on the left hyoid bone above the Adam's apple, which is consistent with strangulation. And so Epstein's brother, like us, are all waiting, saying what the hell's going on with this case. The FBI, of course, are the ones investigating. And they did swab his Epstein's clothing for DNA, but there's been no report out on this. And I, we don't even know, according to Dr. Baden, he, doesn't, he didn't physically see her, you know, the medical examiner or anyone swabbing for DNA on the sheets, which, you know, if somebody else tied that together, which it sounds like they probably did, that there should be DNA, of course, they could have been wearing gloves. Oh, and he did mention they did swab under Epstein's nails, but they, again, have not gotten anything back on that. And he says, you know, it's been 80 days and it only takes a couple days. With DNA testing and all that nowadays, it doesn't take long. Right, right. So that's where that whole thing is at. Well, finally, we've ruled out suicide for the most part. <laughs> right. <laughs> most of I, us were pretty much already clued in on that. I think a lot of people were skeptical. <laughs> even n- n- not even in our you know political side of things, or I think everyone was skeptical. Oh about yeah, that. right. <laughs> it's hard not to be. That was a big red pill. I'm pretty sure Arkansas was you know trending that, that day. <laughs> yeah. So, speaker. Mm-hmm. How you doing? How's it going? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I can't pronounce his name, and I know you've practiced. So tell us what's going on with ah oh, with the death of the ISIS leader Abu Bakr al Bahari, who was killed on the 26th or the 27th, depending on where you are in the world. But this is a big win, especially against ISIS, because not just he was killed, but the day after his successor was also killed. According to the president, he was under surveillance for weeks, and this whole surveillance was happening during the time of the Syria withdrawal. It's almost like they were connected in some sort of a way. I don't know how. I'm no military strategist, but there was obviously something going on there. E- either the pulling out of the U.S. troops made al-Bahadi a little bit more brazen, and he's come out a little bit. But I think there is something there, but, I, you know, of course, I can't determine. Like he was trying to get his troops out of the way in case there was any kind of backlash 
or maybe it was just strategies. That's where the mind goes when you're sort of trying to work out this whole operation. And I have a few more other theories as we go down the line here as well. Yes, yeah, so Al Bahadi was killed in a place called Barusha Village after he detonated an explosive vest, killing him and three of his children. Shows you what the, the type of man yeah, he is. Right. Trump thanked a lot of the surrounding countries into war. He thanked the Kurds, Syria, Turkey, Iraq, Russia for their coordination. And most of the world leaders came out with positive responses to this. So most most of the uh, comments from the world leaders were pretty good or uh, well, the ones, the countries that he thanked anyway. Um, Egypt came out, said it was unified action and a comprehensive perspective that takes into account the security, development and ideological dimensions in the fight against armed groups. Turkey, Adawan, as much as I don't like him, said that killing Bahadis, uh, killing Bahadi marked a turning point in the joint fight against terrorism. Uh, but there was also some interesting ones. Russia was quite sceptical about it. So the Russian defense minister reacted with, with news of skepticism and said, there's no reliable information on the US operation. That was kind of interesting. And Iran... Iran was the most interesting one that came out and said, it's not a big deal. You just killed your own creature. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, I know. So that's, that's very interesting from Iran. I expect them to shoot something like that because which Edge is going to get into a little bit more. We do know the connections there, especially between Al-Qaeda and ISIS as well and America. That is an interesting shot from Iran. It's true in a way. It's not Trump's creature, but definitely it's the previous administrations. Of, of course. Yeah. So, so, so that was that, that was an interesting shot from uh, the information minister there in Iran. Trump said that he died like a dog and he died like a coward and the world is now a safer place, which is absolutely a fantastic way to <laughs> humiliate this person and he does deserve to be humiliated i mean he al-bahadi was known for a lot of things and most of them like the genocide of the yazdis in iraq sex slavery organized rapes beatings execution he controlled by fear predominantly and that was making videos and sending it within the caliphate and to to his followers sending videos of crucifixions rapes burning he controlled just a monster just a monster absolutely monster that the dems want to protect Pretty, pretty much. Well, well, well. The best, the best strategy that Trump had there was he didn't tell the Democrats. Thank God he didn't tell the Democrats. Yeah, right. Everything went out perfectly. Kind of um, makes you wonder a little bit more about the trip that Pelosi and uh, didn't Shifty go with her. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? He was the highest ranking terrorist supposedly killed since Bin Laden, so which is since 2011, which is really good. And of course, the day after killing the other terrorist, which is like a double win. Also, I have a theory on this and I've been kind of looking at a few other tweets, especially with the media calling out the way Trump has said things and pretty much trying to support this terrorist to make him sound like another guy especially WAPO, which we'll get into in a minute. When Trump said he died like a dog, I didn't think much of it at the time, but then the next day Trump posted a picture of that that dog, of course, which was a great tweet. Yeah, so we've declassified (laughs) a picture of a wonderful dog. Um, Name not declassified. He did such a great job in capturing and killing the leader of ISIS. So I just thought this was a really good tweet. But as we know, Trump is really good at having double meanings in his tweets. For an example, like if, if Trump wants a tweet to be seen, by a lot of people, you'll make a spelling mistake or something like that because the media will jump on it, they'll call it an idiot and it will bring so much attention to that tweet. He's really clever with stuff like that. 
Right. Right. And then the Imam of Peace, if you follow him, tweeted the other day, what a time to be alive. Basically, Allah empowered a dog to take down Al-Bahari, the ISIS leader, because they believe dogs are filthy and impure. That won't sit well with them. They'll be confused forever. Hmm. Right. I did not catch the implications in their culture as to what a dog means to them. He's trolling them, the terrorists. he's, he's, He's humiliating them. Wow. Right? And, and and it wasn't just a dog, it was a female dog. Oh, right. <laughs> right? So I, I, I just caught that today and I thought that was really brilliant because... Yeah, that's a good catch exactly. there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he died like a dog, he died like a coward. And so he's, he's pretty much humiliating these ISIS leaders. And as you should, I mean, apart from Obama, which, you know, giving them proper Muslim burials and shit, that's no way to deter ISIS. Let's move on from that to the media reaction of it. Of course, they were going to support terrorism, and especially with that WAPO news article calling him an Astor religious scholar, which was completely purposefully done. In the obituaries. In the yeah, obituaries, it, it, right? That was insane. Which set oh. off a great amount of parodies that gave me such a laugh for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Wapo death notices. Yeah, didn't uh, Devin Nunez start brilliant. that hashtag? Yeah, I think yeah, I, I think he started the hashtag, and then people started <laughs> to add to it. So I'll, I'll I'll link some of the some of them in this video. Oh, you got to read a couple of them. They're freaking hilarious. Um, I definitely do have. There was one by uh, Donald Trump Jr. that was hysterical. <laughs> Yeah, there were Jeffrey Dahmer, connoisseur of erotic and and, and locally sourced meats, dies at 34. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, there's some absolute good ones. Jim Jones, passionate community organizer and religious leader, dead at 47. (laughs) Uh, There were some good ones on, like, Hitler and... Mao Astor revolutionary culturalists and adult re-education advocate. Oh my god. <laughs> so this is a glorious win against the media completely. Yeah, show how completely utterly insane they are. You know, WAPO and I mean a lot of the most of the mainstream media is just terrible, but WAPO, you know, Washington Post for anyone who doesn't know. I say that sometimes to people and they say what's WAPO? So I just assume everyone uh, knows they're the go-to for deep state when they want to propagate something. Oh, oh yeah, they oh. are. I mean, they're involved in what we're going to talk about in a little bit with General Flynn's an update on his case and some information that Sidney Powell has exposed and WAPO is directly involved with that. They are deep state. Oh, yeah. I reckon WAPO is the worst out of all of them. Oh, I don't know, man. New York Times is pretty bad, too, but... We can do a poll on that. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Good. It's a tough call, man. So, Edge, tell us about the history, the origins of ISIS. Okay, so Trump, in his speech when he announced... The death of, I say al-Baghdadi. I guess that's not the way to say it. You say it, speaker. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Foreign correspondence. I'm supposed to know these things. Probably got it completely wrong. And you're probably saying it right. (laughs) I'm just saying it with such gusto that it sounds right. Okay. We'll go with the way you said it. Trump came out during that same press conference announcing his death, and he put in a little nugget that people are just really interested in. He mentioned that we took highly sensitive material and information from the raid, much having to do with ISIS origins, future plans, things that we very much want. 
it. So with that statement, people are curious to know what kind of information was obtained from this raid and about the origins of ISIS. And perhaps if any of that information would confirm things that we already know or that we already have evidence of with Obama, Hillary, McCain, facilitating ISIS in a number of ways. So I'm going to get into a little bit of that. ISIS really came to power after the closing of Camp Buka, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but uh, Camp (laughs) Buka was built in 2003, and it was housing many prisoners from Iraq, from Al-Qaeda. These leaders in Al-Qaeda were, they were training, they were becoming more radicalized, they were organizing, and then when Obama came into office, he shut down Buka in September 2009. And a lot of those detainees were set free. Some of them were transferred. Baghdadi was set free. He was deemed as low level. In a security forum meeting in 2017, a top U.S. Special Ops Commander, Tony Thomas, confirmed that there was a CIA program where they were running a covert program to train and arm rebels in Syria, and that that program had been shut down by Trump. He confirmed that. We have other evidence that there was an operation going on like this of training and arming these ISIS fighters in Syria. Judicial Watch has has released information stating that three months before the 2012 election, the Obama administration knew of ISIS plans to establish a caliphate in Iraq, and they also knew that weapons were being shipped from Benghazi to Syria. We also know for a fact that General Flynn had warned the Obama administration that ISIS was a growing threat, providing military intelligence, and then that military intelligence was later altered by senior analysts with in the Obama administration to fit Obama's narrative. We also know that in 2015, Obama admitted in a press conference to, quote, speeding up training of ISIL forces. As I've said before, this aspect of our strategy was moving too slowly, but the fall of Ramadi has galvanized the Iraqi government. So with the additional steps I ordered last month, we're speeding up training of ISIL forces, including volunteers from Sunni tribes in Anbar province unquote, following the fall of Ramadi. So we have mounting evidence that the Obama administration not only knew of the growth of ISIS, but actually participated in it, were quite possibly arming them and training them. So it would be interesting to see what they got from this raid that corroborates what we already know. Right. Also, several pictures were floating around this week. They've been out for quite a while of McCain with al-Baghdadi in various photos. I think those were taken in 2013. What did they seize in the raid? He, he didn't say. His specific words were, we took highly sensitive material and information. Wowzers. Interesting. Wowzers. Yeah, very yeah. interesting. And so moving on, no good segue here, but I want to give an update <laughs> on, the, huh, on the Vatican raid. Another raid was a Vatican update. So a few weeks ago, we had reported on the raid of the Vatican Secretary out of State where they seized computers and loads of documents from archives and employees. And then uh, a couple weeks after that raid, and I'm probably not going to say this right, Domenico Gianni, the head of Pope Francis' security service, resigned after leaked reports of alleged financial wrongdoing in the Vatican. 
So allegedly there were millions in regular financial transactions regarding the buying and selling of Vatican property holdings and money was being moved through slush funds across Europe. So now the Italian media reported that the director of the watchdog authority and four staffers had been suspended the day after Gianni's resignation. And they're also reporting that prosecutors have found evidence of embezzlement, fraud, abuse of office, and money laundering in the Vatican's upper echelon. And they are now saying that the first round of indictments in a Vatican City state court is expected to happen soon. And so what I find interesting is most places are reporting that Pope Francis has done everything correctly as far as cleaning up the financial mess that the Vatican has long been in. And they say that he contracted with PricewaterhouseCoopers to conduct the first serious external audit in its history back in 2016, but that Archbishop Giovanni, oh boy, Bechu, <laughs> canceled the audit. And the following year, the Vatican's Auditor General was forced out after allegedly discovering improprieties of his superiors. So I'm not buying for one second that Pope Francis has been trying to clean anything up. This is just, you know, cover cover for him, in my yeah. opinion. I think so, people have been so. stealing from Pope Francis and he wants to get the money back. <laughs> or, or, he's just, or, he's throwing, or he's throwing his cardinals and his bishops under the bus. I'm not shocked at all that there was any kind of fraud and embezzlement. This has forever. been going on forever in the Vatican. And, you know, the Vatican kind of reminds me of the Yun. They have this, like, closed book secrecy, no auditors, no one can see the funds. It's, it's uh, that same thing goes on with the UN. But I was a little surprised at some outlets reporting on how Pope Francis has been doing everything in his power to clean this up, but <laughs> it's he's just getting resistance and yeah, I don't buy it. But indictments are coming soon. Wish he would put that much effort into cleaning out the pedophilia problem. Yeah, yeah right? right. He shames the victims on that one. I included that in one of my reports. So tell us what's going on with the Flynn update. Some big bombshells came out on that. So Flynn's attorney, Sidney Powell, filed a motion. And in this motion, there were a couple of big bombshells. Uh, number one, she said that Lisa Page had edited Flynn's 302 and was part of the small high-level group that strategically planned to ambush Flynn. And I believe Strzok was the one who ordered her to do those edits, right? Right. I think Strzok was involved too. So they kind of been in partnership. Also within this motion that Sidney Powell filed, she stated the defense has requested the phone records of James Clapper to confirm his contacts with the Washington Post reporter Ignatius especially on January 10th, 2017, when Clapper told Ignatius in words to the effect of take the kill shot on Flynn. Unreal. Yes, we're getting some more drip, drip, drip on this conspiracy to set up Flynn, as well as the entire conspiracy as a whole. So the final statement within Powell's motion was uh, basically, given the clear and convincing evidence herein, this court should dismiss this entire prosecution for outrageous government misconduct. So, That's right. And then an update on that, on the 28th, there was breaking news that Judge Sullivan had canceled the hearing scheduled for early November because of the comprehensive briefing 
of the parties. So it looks like Judge Sullivan is taking time to review this information that Sidney Powell has filed. So that's good news. Good news. Yeah. We, we actually, when you think about it, everything we've talked about so far is, is good news. We've got indictments coming. We've got <laughs> on the Vatican. Quite a positive podcast. Was, you know, the ISIS leader's dead. We've got good news on James Younger. So let's keep it rolling. Let's see. What's next? The Durham uh, inquiry. Oh, yeah. So this is good. So. <laughs> 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 so John Durham's inquiry has expanded into a criminal investigation. This is coming just as the inspector general's set to release his Pfizer report on the FBI surveillance abuse. So I expect Horowitz's report will be in shortly. He's That's what he said. He's just finalizing it. And the fact that the announcement of John Durham's inquiry changing from just an inquiry to now a criminal investigation insinuates that the information from Horowitz's report has now provided enough evidence for Durham to officially call this a criminal investigation. Yay. Horowitz, he does not have the ability to, you know, indict or subpoena. He, he just does criminal referrals or referrals for investigation. But Durham has the ability to indict, subpoena, and panel a grand jury. So it looks like this is moving full steam ahead. And in fact, that's what AG Barr said earlier this week, is that, it, that Durham is making great progress. And it's also not a coincidence that with all these revelations coming out with Sidney Powell's motion, Durban criminal investigation and the IG report apparently coming soon, that Pelosi announced on Monday that the House will vote for a former impeachment. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> Inquiry on Thursday. I wish, I wish we could get that into this one. Right, because mm. folks, we you know we release our podcasts on Fridays. We record on Wednesdays, so this impeachment inquiry vote um, will be on Thursday. So sorry, we don't we are not able to give you guys an update on that. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm sure it'll be all over social media and the news. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. So it's, all, it's all over already. Yeah, it's definitely not a coincidence that the timing. They're definitely trying to change the news cycle because there has been some really damning information that's come out the past week, week or so. We've got Baker, uh, which I'm about to get into. We've got Sidney Powell's motion, which gave some real bombshells this week. We've got Durham announcing a criminal investigation. We got the FISA report, the IG report dropping really soon. So the Dems are are looking to counter that with formalizing the impeachment inquiry. This looks like really their last Hail Mary. Oh, yeah. The next step will be is that they will be having, they will have to send evidence and information over to the House Judiciary Committee. And from there, there will be hearings, which Matt Gates sits on the House Judiciary Committee and has already announced that he will be calling Adam Schiff as a fact yeah. witness in this case. <laughs> yeah. Good. But, but like, like, like I said before, I don't care if they impeach him. They're not going to remove him from office. They still won't have the, the votes to remove him from office. So that all that doesn't bother me. I'm not fussed by all that at all. Uh, like I've said before, it's all about public perception. So Of course. Mm. Yeah, well, that, that, that will definitely work towards their public perception. But in, in terms of legality of getting him out of the presidency, it's not going to happen. Right. So about this James, ba- James Baker thing, there's been reports coming out just you know this week about James Baker. 
having flipped and cooperating with the DOJ, which implies that he could be providing information to the DOJ in their criminal investigation now against Comey, McCabe, and others. But this isn't really new information, actually. James Baker, in an interview back in June, I believe it was on CNN, he'd said that I have had a longstanding relationship with the Inspector General's office because I firmly believe in the in the appropriateness and the need for effective oversight of the FBI. Sounds like Baker flipped and he's he's um, going to sell out Comey and others. That'll be an interesting one to see. Can't wait to follow that one. Yeah, and Baker's, uh, you know, he's should be held accountable for the things that he's done. I think that he was involved in that leak that uh, Sidney Powell had mentioned in the motion that she filed that that Baker had leaked to WAPO and that it was Clapper who was pressuring WAPO, telling them to take the kill shot on Flynn. But it was actually Baker who leaked it. So should I move into my article? Yeah. Okay. First off. I just want to say I'm watching it snow outside and it's very sad. <laughs> the, wow. little, the little kids trick-or-treating tomorrow are not going to be happy. Hopefully it melts. I've never had it like snow down here. Like we have in the mountains, but not where I am. Really? Yeah. It, wow. Like it gets cold, hmm. but we don't really do snow unless you go to the mountains. Lucky you. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like snow. I, I would be perfectly fine with just snow on christmas day only <laughs> ne- never never had a white christmas so. <laughs> i remember visiting our grandparents when i was little in uh florida at christmas time and i would watch people tying the trees to their cars driving by and we're driving down roads that are lined with palm trees but they had they had actual little you know regular evergreen christmas trees tied to their cars and i just i just remember thinking as a kid like it was just sad like where's the snow and I'm looking at palm trees. This doesn't feel right. So, I guess it all depends on how you grow up, where you grow up. True that. So, okay. So this article, Turn the Page or Lose Your Children to Indoctrination, is something I've been... Well, okay. So a wonderful mother had reached out to me. Forgive me, Malia. I don't know if it's Malia or Malaya Rubio. And she's out of Colorado, just outside of Denver. And sent me some information on, you know, some of the books that were being read at uh, her son's school. And there have been some other stories, you know, over the last year that I've been kind of gathering as well. So I decided, okay, it's time to put this together into a short little report here and bring this to the attention of not just parents, but people who work within the education system or work with children or that are just simply concerned for children and what's going on because that's where this indoctrination all starts. And there is a lady, I included a short video in here by Jenny Phillips, who's the founder and owner of The Good and the Beautiful. And she, where she covered you know, historical changes in literature over the past century. And there's some interesting, very interesting information she points out in there. One of them is that she went back through numerous children's books and back in 1810, so just to kind of like put this in perspective, there was a moral lesson in 16 out of 25 pages in a book out of, you know, out of, in 1810, which by the time we get to, to 1950, that reduced to less than one page out of 25 pages. And now what we see 
which actually this, this goes back because I just did a quick search on scary children's books and there's tons of them. And I pulled up one that was, um, it was a series in published in 1984 called in a dark, dark room and other scary stories. And it's these scary stories that are retold to children and the grade levels show grades one through three. What? And we're wow. telling the scary stories to children that, and it says, <laughs> it's kind of funny, they're horror stories. And they say on the for, in the foreword, most of us like scary stories because we like feeling scared. When there is no real danger, feeling scared is fun. The best time for these stories is at night in front of a fire or in the dark. Tell them slowly and quietly and everyone will have a good time. And I just, I found it creepy because, okay, yeah, when we were in like junior high and high school, you know, of course, watching Friday the 13th or a scary movie, it, it could be fun. But when you look back now and you think, we're talking like first graders, where does, where does that put the age? Like six, seven years old? Right. That, that's yeah, way that. too young for some of this stuff. Desensitizing them. And then I was right. thinking about Old Yeller. That which actually went back further than I realized, because I remember reading that in school. But where where he has to shoot his own dog because of rabies, and and I'm looking at it going, yeah. Then in the 80s, we came out with Cujo, and wow, this was probably a really good push for them for vaccine industry for the rabies vaccine. You know, of course, course. that's the way Corey Corey's. Yeah, that is the way my mind works. (laughs) People manipulate everything through through the children's books, all the way up through television, radio, the entertainment industry, Hollywood movies, all of it is a form of programming and fear mongering. And they, so let me just tell you though. So there's this series, this eight book series that um, now Malia's son goes to a uh, charter school just outside of Denver. And she became concerned because her son was, you know, he was having nightmares at one point and found, she found out that the teacher was reading, what's it called? It was like about monsters under your bed to little kids. You don't read monsters under your bed to little kids. So then she finds in the library, because she volunteered at the library, that there's this eight book series. And I'm looking at this cover and I have it in my article here. In fact, I should send that to you to flip into the video. Secrets of Dripping Fang. Please don't eat the children. That's that's book seven. And wow. it's literally this giant dude who doesn't even look human, who's got these big spiked teeth and his tongue's out. And he's holding up two little kids over his mouth with his tongue out. And he's wearing an apron and has butcher knives strapped to it. Doesn't that sound like a great book to read to little kids? Wow. And the kids he's hanging up, holding up, are two two children who no one wants to adopt. And so they're off in this dripping fang forest on their adventures, and it's all just horror stories and ants, ants that want to take over the world and want to murder these 10-year-olds, um, human slaves, mutant children, just really creepy stuff, you know? Sounds like you need to dig into this author. <laughs> yeah, right? A lot of authors. A lot of them are putting this stuff out there. And, you know, children are vulnerable. And so some people may laugh it off and think, oh, that's just silly. But we're talking like young minds being shaped and molded and, and their thought processes. And don't think for a moment that does not impact them or how they process things 
And there's so many books and, and even in movies and the cartoons where there's a single parent or one of the parents died, dysfunctional families, the kids talk back to the parents or they want to kill their sister. In fact, I have a story in here. One of the stories I covered in here was in the Midwest at a public school where they were trying to, they were giving the kids this book to take home and read. And this was junior high school. And the mom, I'm trying to find it. It's called And the Mountains Echoed. And it, this story where the, the one sister kills her other sister. And as the sun is rising, she takes it as a son from God that she made the right choice by killing her sister. So they have um, one daughter is dating the same man as the mother. You have a, a homosexual trying to convince a young man, practically a boy, that he sh too should become homosexual, even though he says he doesn't feel that way. And so there's just, there's like a lot of just moral depravity. Going total, on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No moral so, compass. So this particular mother, you know, reached out to everyone. Eventually she managed to email tons of parents and got the school got 250 calls from upset parents and they ended up removing the book. And as well as with Malia's story, um, she has been meeting with the librarian and principal there. And so she just, uh, the librarian, head librarian, you know, told her that they are going to remove the Dripping Fang series books from there. And, and I know there's some other books there that she's concerned about as well, but you know, it's a start. And here's the thing. You have to know your child's curriculum. You have to talk to the teachers because like in her case, she found that there were books in the classroom that she wasn't aware of because they read them in the classroom. And, right. and then there's the books that they give you to take home. And then there's the library. And the fact is they're trying to break apart the family unit, you know, and then and There's a lot of agendas going on. Breaking up the family is like the basis for any Marxist socialism sort of regime. They don't want you to rely on the family. They don't want you to rely on certain, you know, asking your family for money and stuff. They want you to totally devoid of that. So you ask the state. Very right. true. Right. Well, and then also, so like my niece was telling me the other day that in her school, and she is 11. So in her school, once a week, they play CNN 10. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> what are they playing? And she said, well, last week they showed us, because uh, this was a little while ago, the, uh, the fires in the Amazon, because we were, we were, happened to be covering, you know, climates and stuff like that. And I said, okay, well, and she doesn't pay a whole lot of attention. So, and, and she says she, she forgets half the stuff they tell her. So she told me they had one where I said, well, did they ever cover anything political or talk about the president? And she said, well, they did play something, some video a couple weeks ago with the president and there was another man. And I don't really remember it though. I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's happening though. And then in another school in the Southwest, you know, a teacher was playing the Greta Thunberg's uh, UN Climate Action Summit speech where she's 
yelling out, you have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. We're at the beginning of a mass extinction and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? And so here these 11 year olds are listening to this and the teacher's talking about her positively. And then she passed out a teen activist list and says they need to, you know, they don't have to pick someone from the list, but this is a suggested list. And of course, almost everyone in the class picks out Greta Thunberg because they just got through boasting her about her. So And glorifying her when the poor child is propped up there by the UN to instill fear in every child across the world that right, the world right, is going by, to end. By telling not, them not, not just childhood. Right, adults too. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And telling them we're, we're at the beginning of a mass extinction. Those are great words that are written by an obvious handler of Greta Thunberg. Sorry. Mm, it's a doomsday cult. Uh, and, and, you know, she's 16. They throw in the darn pigtails and make her look like she's nine years old so that she can relate more to the young minds and manipulate them. And, of course, part of me feels bad for this girl. Another part of me feels like you're 16 now and you know exactly what you're doing. You know what's going on, even though you have been completely manipulated. So, But, yeah, so only, you know, and, of course, they have Emma Gonzalez from on activists on gun control from the Parkland shooting is on here. There's, there's a lot of interesting ones on this list. And... That's just another way of seeding their minds and pushing the agendas they want to push. And I think it's really important that parents talk to their children and find out what it is they're learning in school and ask them their opinions and their thoughts. And if they have any questions or if they have any fears on what might be causing those fears. And I actually concluded this article with some various suggestions and ideas and I covered some of the statistics on, on homeschooling, and I'm not saying pull your kid out of school and homeschool, but that is an option. But I think if you don't pull them out, then you need to be very vigilant and stay on top of this because they are literally shaping the minds of your children. It is full-on indoctrination is what I've seen. And what's so frustrating is that it's always presenting just one side. It's yeah. presenting theory as fact and right. science. And it's not giving the children the opportunity to critically think and come up with what they believe. It's presenting things as fact and in such a way that it's steering the way that they think and believe instead of presenting two sides to a scenario. This is what one side says. This is what uh, the counter argument is. You now think critically and come up with a reasonable argument why you believe what you believe. They don't want critical thinking. They don't want you to have analytical skills, processing skills. They want you completely reliant on others. Yep. And it's so infuriating to see this and so upsetting because our children really are being so heavily indoctrinated these days in the school systems, especially when it comes to what I'm seeing a lot of is the, yes, the climate change stuff Mm -hmm. as well as the immigration topic. And racism. They're, they're, they're hitting that hard. And obviously transgender, which is the next report I'm working on, because that too is a whole form of mind control and several other things. It's not just about gender. So yeah, that fits into the church of woke. I'll send you an interesting video on that. The church of woke. Okay. Well, it has kind of become like a religion. Think about it. They've been, it's been in our face really hard this year. And I think we've all said and discussed it on here before that we don't have any problem with the LGBTQ community at all. It's not that. 
it's the agendas they're pushing behind it. We don't care. Uh, <laughs> Most people don't really give a shit. They just don't want it forced down their throat and they don't want to have to conform to something that they don't want. To. And that's the problem. The whole thing with the, you know, I did the normalization indoctrination article a while back and it's like one in every, you know, decent sized school, only statistically only one child is potentially transgender. Yet they want entire schools, they want the entire country to use specific pronouns and this whole pronouns thing, I'm just ready to This is this is the problem with catering to the minority. It's a form of brainwashing and controlling. Right. This is what we want you to say now, this is what we want you to think now, and this is what we want you to believe now. And we're we're going to put this into institutions and this is going to become mandated. That's the scary part to all of this. And it's been going on for a long time. It's just they're pushing it harder. You know, I'd say over the last decade, it's been pushed really hard on a lot of fronts. People are becoming more aware of it now. It's, it's becoming very transparent. And it feels like the more transparent it becomes, the more resistance, the more friction is there, the harder they push back. Right. So everyone has to stay on top of it. On another note, so uh, I, I think it's Jeffrey Younger is the father of James, I believe. He was saying in his interview that he's received a ton of mail since all of this going on with his son and over, or at least half of them were from the transgender community, letting him know that they do not agree with this being done to children like this. Yeah, that was the same with Jordan Peterson when he spoke out in Canada about the the changing of pronouns kind of becoming law that you had to use that pronoun or you can be thrown in jail and like when he spoke out about that most of most like a lot of his support was also from the transgender community saying that the people that are, are getting angry or that are criticizing you have no real affiliation with us like who, who are they to you know represent us right, so right. It, it, it is this fringe group you know yeah absolutely good session kids <laughs> i think we covered a lot there we did cover a lot and it's just going to keep steamrolling guys Horowitz IG report will be coming out shortly and the Dems are freaking out so we'll see how this house impeachment inquiry shit show goes right <laughs> right hey and for everyone out there uh, we just published today Edge's brilliant article the cancer within modern medicine part one and two and she's working on additional parts to that that'll be out in the net within the next couple weeks and so check that out. Brilliantly done, Edge. Very good dig. Well Correct. done. Thank you. Hopefully we get a video of that out soon. There you go. Yeah, I think I'm going to do some videos breaking those digs down. And I do I want to give a shout out to Dr. B because she was, this dig would not have been possible for me to do without her expertise and her uh, information that she helped me with. So well, thank you, Dr. So, B. Yeah, and just so people are aware, though it says modern medicine in the title, they should know that you take them way back to the beginning when big pharma was little pharma and who all was involved and who made the money and all the connections and how cancer played a role in this and really good piece. Yeah, I learned a lot through this dig and I'm still learning. So we've got three more pieces to put out. Um, it's a huge, massive dig, a lot, a lot of pieces and elements, but it really just paints a picture in general that since the turn of the 20th century, uh, the cabal has basically taken over every aspect of modern me medicine, which is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. 
but it's good information to know and to arm yourself with. How can we build a better future? How can we build a better way forward? Right. If we're not aware of it at first. On all fronts, with with the education system, with, you know, medicine, the line of work you're in. I mean, with all of it, we, we need to really break free from the system. I just did an article on that a couple of weeks ago and start looking for new ways to approach things. Most definitely. Let's leave it on that note, guys. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast with the speaker, myself, the sharp edge and Corey from Corey's Stigs. Please check out all the links in the description below. And you can find us now on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Please share, like, subscribe, and hit that bell. We'll see you back next time, right here. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, be quiet. Just keep that in. That was funny. Okay, whatever. (laughs) Right here on Dig It. (laughs) All right. You got to keep some of the funny mistakes in sometimes, Ed. Makes Makes us human. Thank you.